If you would, while you remain standing, grab your Bibles, turn to John chapter 8, and if you're using one of the Blue Bibles, there are plenty of these around the room, it's page 1062 and page 1063. All right, we're going to be reading John chapter 8 and verses 12 through 20, the light of the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word as true the day it was written as the day we have just heard it read. Would you open it to us and allow us to see through your eyes and hear from you, Holy Spirit. This and more we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. I still remember who I am. I'm Richard, in case you've forgotten. I got my name badge on. I'm your associate pastor and it's lovely to be able to share God's words with you today as we continue our sermon series in the Gospel of John. Uh, last week we left off in the middle of chapter 7 and this week we're jumping into uh, almost the middle, not quite, of chapter 8. And last week we took time to consider and to think how Jesus was seen at the time and how we see Jesus we're told there towards the end of chapter 7 that many people believed in him. We also saw very clearly that many, if not all, of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, did not believe in him. Or if they did, they were beginning to be fearful because perhaps he was who he said he was. And they thought, oh, that's going to cramp our style. That's going to get in the way of our political power and our author religious authority. And so they're really out to get him, and we're going to see that again today. But the same question that they were facing is the same question that is the most defining, the most important, impactful question that any of us can ask or be asked today. Who is Jesus? And we have the privilege of being able to share an answer with others of that. Now, some of you may be wrestling with that exact question in your life. And as we study through John's gospel, I'm hopeful that it will be a question that is answered in many, 
many ways because the whole gospel is really explicitly written to answer the question of who is Jesus. From the opening words, we are told he is the word and the word is God. And towards the very end of the gospel, we are told everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus did, pointed to the fact that he is God, the Son, and by believing in him, you will have life in his name. Now, the verses that followed, where we left off in the middle of chapter 7, really only go to confirm and reiterate what we were thinking about last week. But they also do introduce and reintroduce us to a character that we've met before. So before we get into our reading from today, I want to just touch upon those verses briefly. They reintroduce us to Nicodemus. And some of you might remember, if you've read chapter 3 recently, or you remember what seems like months ago when we were in chapter 3 together, that Nicodemus is the one who comes to Jesus at night wanting to know who he is. He's inquisitive, he's inquiring, he's asking who you are, Jesus. But he didn't want anybody else to see him ask such a question because of his position. And now in chapter 7, we see that he's moved along a little bit. When we leave him in chapter 3, we're not sure where his faith is. We're not sure what he believes about Jesus, but certainly we know he's had an encounter with Christ. And in chapter 7, it seems he's a little bit closer because he kind of stands up for Jesus uh, amongst the other Pharisees when he says in John 7:51, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? So he's standing up and saying, you know, we need to hear Jesus out before we make any sort of decision on who we think he is and what he's been doing. And this may well be where many of you are in your faith today, and certainly where many of us have been at some point. But we continue to hear good news and great joy, that Jesus is still at work amongst his people and in the world. And we will see towards the end of our study in the Gospel of John, sometime before the end of 2020, that we see Nicodemus again. Nicodemus is present at the burial of Jesus. He's with Joseph of Arimathea. We're told he brought the spices that they would use as they wrapped Jesus' body. Admittedly, they'd have to do this hurriedly because there was very little time left before Sabbath began. But he's there. He's part of that narrative. He's part of that story. And so we see this progression of Nicodemus from someone who's inquiring to someone who's standing up for to quite possibly being a believer in who Jesus was and is. But more about that when we get to chapter 19 and we meet Nicodemus again. But I just wanted you to realize, and it's important for all of us to know this, don't lose sight of what seemingly are incidental characters along the way in the gospel. They're not there by accident. They're not there just to color around the edges. In fact, God is very often using them to illustrate his purposes and his plans and showing the impact in people's lives. And the same is true for us today, and we'll see this a little bit as we get into chapter 8. We have the opportunity to be those kind of characters in the narrative of God. He will use us to witness 
to his mercy and his grace along the way and to the world. Well, let's take a moment to look at verses 12 and 13 of John 8, which is where we will camp out. We will spend most of our time together this morning. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Once again, the Pharisees are out to attack Jesus to try and undermine his testimony of who he is saying he is. I love the way Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, uh, speaks about the Pharisees. And he bases it on these two verses. He says this, These wasps were always stinging him. When he drove them away once, they quickly returned to attack him again. The only time as a child that I remember actively encouraging my father to smoke his cigarettes was on a trip to Bristol Zoo when there was a swarm of wasps. Every time he smoked, blue smoke, they went away. Every time he finished a cigarette, they came back. I think he chain-smoked two packets that day. <laughs> However, Jesus has a far more effective way of dealing with the attacks of the Pharisees than blowing smoke at them. He confronts them with the reality of not only who he is as a human being, but his divinity and the purposes of God in him being sent to earth. Today, when we are asked, or indeed when we ask the same question, who is Jesus, we too have a more effective way of interacting and answering that question of those who ask it. We have God's word. And I want to suggest that the I am sayings of John's gospel, which are scattered throughout the gospel, are a great place to start. And one of them, of course, is our reading today. For the people of Jerusalem that heard them for the very first time, they were very, very significant, and they are still just as significant to us today. They're unique in John's gospel, and as I say, a great place to focus on who Jesus is, because they're who Jesus said he was. They speak not only of his character, but his personality, his ministry, and importantly, his theology. He states clearly who God the Son is in relation to God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. You can't separate them. We learn about the whole Godhead in the I Am sayings. Now, we've already seen one a few weeks back in chapter 6. I am the bread of life. And there was a very clear connection between I am the bread of life and the manna that the Israelites ate in the wilderness for 40 years. There's also a direct correlation between I am the light of the world and the pillar of cloud and fire that also went with the Israelites throughout their wilderness experience. Exodus 13, 21 and 22. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. For the light 
represented God's presence with his people. His protection, his guidance, and as we will see, will lead to witnessing about God. Now remember, even though the Israelites had bread and they had light, they still complain. Numbers 11, 4 4 to 6. Now the rabble that was among them had a, a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. They complain and they say the food we had under slavery in Egypt was better than this. And yet what they don't realise, what they fail to recognise is they have God's miraculous provision for them. He's giving it to them each and every day. How many of you watch VeggieTales, by the way? Anybody? Anybody ever watch VeggieTales? Okay, good. If you've ever seen their version of this narrative, I love the fact that they say, we had hamburgers in Egypt. (laughs) Well, of course, they couldn't talk about leeks and onions and melons and garlic because VeggieTales are those things, right? (laughs) But the point remains the same. They're missing the point and seeing the point is that Jesus is the real provision in our lives. So often today there's the thought that, yeah, we need Jesus, but we need other things as well. We need other understanding. We need more evidence. We need other assurances. We need other insights. Instead of relying on the fact that Jesus is all we need. Do you ever remember the phrase, Jesus plus nothing equals everything? So what does it mean to walk in the light of Jesus today and no longer in darkness? How many of you will admit that you've been afraid of the dark at some point in your life? Okay, good. I may have told you this story before, but when I was a child, I couldn't sleep without the light on for many years. And then, and then my, my parents were quite intelligent in this, so they eventually turned the light off in my room, but they left the light on on the, what we call the landing outside my bedroom with the door open, and gradually the door got closed and closed and closed. Eventually, I can sleep in the dark, it's no problem. Although, I still fall asleep with the light on occasionally. Anybody? Yeah, okay. You wake up like three hours later, oh, I forgot to switch the light off. Okay. Now, this morning, I want to turn that question on its head. How many of you have ever been afraid of the light. Think about that for a moment and bear it in mind as we go through the rest of this passage. All of us have things in our lives, sins, actions, deeds, thoughts, regrets, doubts, that we don't really want to see the light of day. If we're honest, we've all have something or had something that's a part of us we'd rather keep under wraps and away from full view, for fear of how people will react, how people will respond to us, what they will think about us. And while I'm encouraging us to all be very transparent and open and honest, at the same time, I am not asking you to run up here and blurt it all out, okay? But to have people in your lives that you can be completely open with, completely honest and transparent with, 
and that they will accept you as works in progress, because we all are, is very, very important. We are not perfect, but we are perfectly loved by a perfect God. But that does not give us license to ignore our sins, but to know and to experience fully the grace and mercy and forgiveness of our Heavenly Father. And remember, of course, he knows it all anyway, right? And he still loves you, and he still wants you to walk in the light of Christ. A quote was shared with me this week that I wanted to show you and share with you. And for me, it spoke about this. To believe that you must hide all the parts of you that are broken out of fear that someone else is incapable of loving what is less than perfect is to believe that sunlight is incapable of entering a broken window and illuminating a dark room. It reminded me of Paul's words in Ephesians 5, 11 to 14. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. As we consider the statement, I am the light of the world, from Jesus, we need to not be fearful of allowing his light to shine into the darkness of this world and into the darkness within ourselves. For although it might be a refining experience, it may be a difficult one, the end result is life, not death. Just as our call to worship this morning spoke about being able to be children of God and not walking in darkness, but walking in the light of life. Jesus is referring to God's presence with his people. That God is not disinterested. He is involved while being holy and more than we can ever imagine. He's close at hand in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the light also has the property of God's protection. I love the story of Iris Sankey that talks of God's light protecting him. It was Christmas Eve, 1875. See, it's still Christmas, right? Okay, so 1875, where many of us were very, very young. (laughs) Okay, so 1875, if you can cast your minds back that far. Even Helen can't quite do that. She might be 100, but not quite 1875. But anyway, Christmas Eve, 1875, Ira Sankey is traveling on a Delaware River steamboat when he, recognized, he was recognized by some passengers because his picture had been in the paper. If you don't know, he was the song leader, writer for D.L. Moody, the great evangelist. And they asked him to sing one of his songs. He politely refused but said he would love to sing a song by someone else. It was one of William B. Bradbury's hymns. And so he started singing the hymn, Saviour Like a Shepherd Lead Us. As he sang one of the stanzas, uh, which began, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. When he finished, a man stepped from the shadows and asked, Did you ever serve in the Union Army? 
Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, in the spring of 1860. Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, very much surprised. So did I, but I was serving on the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was standing in the shadow completely concealed while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to heaven and began to sing. Let him sing his song to the end, I said to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. He's my victim at all events and my bullet cannot miss him. But the song you sang then was the song you just sang now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up many memories. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that song to me. When you have finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again, I thought. The Lord, who is able to save that man from certain death, must surely be great and mighty. And my arm dropped of its own accord, limp at my side. What a great witness to the living, protective light of the world. As the passage continues our reading today, we we see the importance of witness and testimony in the work of the light of the world. If you were here on Christmas Eve, you would have heard Pastor Dustin talking about the fact that when you have a good gift, a great gift, the one thing you have to do is tell everybody about it. Well, when it comes to the light of the world, surely that is the greatest gift and one that we should be sharing with others. Well, the Pharisees, again, here they are trying to tear down Jesus. They're trying to undermine his witness and say that his witness is not true because it's the witness of one man. And as Jesus himself tells them in their law, it needs to be at least two. But they're also thinking at this point they've caught him out. They've tripped him up over his own words because back in John 5, 31, Jesus had said this. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now, the English word alone has been added there to clarify what Jesus means. Sort of commentary. But the Pharisees not only don't hear that, but they don't understand what is being inferred. And so they think, ah, we've got you, because you said if you testify, if it's just you, then it's no good. But as we will see here, it's not just Jesus who's testifying, it's God the Father as well. And so what they do is, far from tearing him down, they give him a platform to be able to share once more who he is and who the Father is in the power of the Spirit. Because we see that God the Father, through the written word, which Jesus was the fulfillment of, and the miracles that he's performing, that all of this was to underline and support Jesus as the Son of God. Verses 14 to 19 of our reading. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. 
In your law it's written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Now, the the Pharisees don't get this, but don't feel too bad because the disciples didn't get it at first either, and they have to have it specifically explained to them later on. And it comes after another one of Jesus' I am sayings, perhaps the most famous, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The verses that follow in John 14, 7 to 11 say this, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus in Matthew's gospel also goes on to say that the disciples are the light of the world. And if the disciples are the light of the world, that means as modern day disciples, we are the light of the world and to be lights in this world. Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Today, we have the responsibility to reflect the light of Christ, just like the moon reflects the sun. Or as I've always thought about it, it's not a perfect analogy, but bear with me, the lights on a runway. They light the way for the plane to safely take off, and to safely land. What we do is we point by allowing the light in our lives to shine because it's God's light, pointing others to the the root of that light, to the source of that light. While at the same time, we're having all the advantages of living in the light. We see God in the light of Jesus. We see him around the place. Some of you know that I don't really believe in coincidence. I believe in God instance, instances of God, the way he speaks to us, the way he directs us, people that we bump into, circumstances, things we see because we live in that light of Christ. And so we see with those eyes for the most time. How many of you have brought a new car and then suddenly seen that make a model everywhere? It doesn't mean they weren't there before. It means that you're more apt to look for them, right? When we live in the light of Christ, we're more apt to see God at work. Well, this morning, I often listen to or watch uh, the live stream of uh, the church in Annapolis where, I, where Alex and I were married, where a friend of mine is the pastor, where my cousins attend. And... Um, 
This morning it popped up to tell me that they were live and the sermon title was Seeing Jesus. And it was kind of a confirmation, yep, this is the right subject matter, this is the right topic, we're doing it as well. And even a secular song that I was listening to as I drove to work this morning, one of the lines is, are you afraid of the darkness? And I'm like, okay, I can use that illustration. Thank you, God. By allowing God to shine through the broken windows of our lives, it not only allows light into our lives, the light of our families and our friends, but into the world around us. And the great freeing thing is the fact that we don't have to worry about having exactly the right words to say or all the answers to all the questions because it's his light that is shining and illuminating We're being able to testify together to the love of God that we experience, and that's vital, to knowing that the price has been paid for our sin upon the cross. In verse 20, the last verse of our reading today, these words he spoke in the treasuries, he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. His hour is the cross. His hour had not yet come come but it would come it would come that light would be temporarily temporarily put into the tomb but it burst forth on the third day if you look down just quickly to verse 28 a verse i didn't read today but it's very important verse 28 so jesus said to them when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that i am he and that i do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Pharisees unwittingly are going to play a part in lifting Jesus up, not only onto the cross, but to lifting his light high that many would come to know and come to see and come to salvation. If you know that in your life, revel in it, remember it, and if you don't, Stop walking in darkness. Come to the light. Like Nicodemus, all of that is a process. There may be light bulb moments and epiphanies along the way, but it's a journey that we're on. Justification, the, word, the posh word, if you like, for coming to faith, for God saving you, is a one-time thing. But sanctification, the long word for becoming more and more like Jesus, living more and more in the light, that's a process that goes on from that moment until we're in heaven and we see glorification as we're there with him. So just as with Nicodemus, every one of us has either been born again or needs to be, and then we continue to grow in that relationship with him the rest of our lives. Let's continue to hear from and follow the call to walk in the light And know his life, the abundant life, eternal life. To his name be the glory, the honor, and the praise now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you and praise you that you loved us so much that you would send your son to die for us, but death could not hold him. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are praying for us now and we await your return. Holy Spirit, infuse our days that we may share you and know you more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.